The opinions expressed in the following are those of its participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the producers and the Six Talk Podcast Network. Also, the following contains mature material and mild language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Discretion is advised. And the podcast now commences on this Saturday night, June the 13th, 2020. This is episode 19 of the Anime Roundtable version 2.0. Good evening from the Six Points studio. I'm Mike Nicholas. James Austin and Mohamed Shamarki are on remote out there in various points around the GTA. And we hope to hear from Kevin before the end of this show. He's out enjoying the Saturday. He actually does have a life. Once again, a reminder that if you have any questions or comments or flames and threats, you can get in touch with us. AnimeRoundtable at gmail.com is our old school email address. We're on Twitter and Instagram at AnimeRoundtable. And AnimeRoundtable.com is our website where the audio links to our older version 1.0 Comic Den era episodes have finally been updated. So check that out. And recently, we do have that Discord that we opened up a month ago. Sometimes you'll see us there. Plus, if you're listening via Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review, especially on Apple. Apparently, plenty of decent reviews will give us a little bit more exposure. So, of course, it would be nice to get that and hopefully get a few more people listening. So let's start tonight in a not-so-comfortable spot, but a spot we cannot deny either. And that, obviously, is the fallout from the death of George Floyd almost three weeks ago at the hands of Minnesota police. No doubt it is the latest in a horrible cycle of unchecked police brutality towards blacks, and the protests and some of the riots that have broken out have no doubt been difficult to ignore. Personally, over the last few weeks, as I started to understand the history of such violence, I can better understand why all of the anger. And really, it's a wonder why this outrage hasn't happened sooner. I'll say for sure that I cannot know what blacks are going through and feeling even though I'm personally not in a position of privilege either. I felt my own version of discrimination, but I cannot say I can relate to the horrible type that have taken the lives of people like George Floyd or Eric Garner or Tamir Rice or Trayvon Martin or Ahmaud Arbery or Breonna Taylor, and the list can go on and on, and that's the problem. And I feel lucky in that regard, but I cannot imagine what goes through the mind of people who are in that position. So we'll stand and respect that frustration and do our best to understand more. Obviously, black people who have swing, most notably high-profile celebrities like LeBron James, Trevor Noah, Don Lemon, Dave Chappelle, They've worked hard to make a difference and use their platforms to propel the conversation. Other celebrities who aren't Black have at least given their platforms or resources to those who don't have such resources. So we do have a shot at beginning that understanding. 
For our part, the roundtable isn't much of a platform in comparison, even within anime fandom here, but we will offer it. That said, we are heartened by the fact that the most significant platforms within the English-speaking anime fandom have offered their voices in various forms. So the fact they can offer their platforms is worth something. I'm honestly at a loss as to what we can really offer in this conversation. So for now, I'll start with an ear and some anecdotes. I'm reminded of how anime and manga fandom prides itself on inclusion, so it knows the basics already of what to do there. And I'm reminded of the panel last year at Anime North about the fact that black people can be anime fans too. Lawrence, I know you're listening. Tell us more about that sometime. And easily one of the funniest moments I have ever experienced at Anime North was when three black friends, who I must add were amongst the best dressed I've ever seen at the con, came out of the yaoi room with shocked looks and laughter on their faces, with one of them smiling and shaking his head saying, Nope, I'm not going back in there anymore. Obviously, I don't know the answer to any of this, nor do I expect to find it here. But if I do know something from these protests, it's that George Floyd's death is a defining moment that has simply said out loud what the answer is not. And that's the status quo, and that enough is enough. We can only add our voices and an open mind in hopes we can understand more and inch towards something better. And to the, li- to the listeners out there, the few of you who want to say we've ruined their experience because we wouldn't shut up and talk anime, first of all, You've never listened to this show because we have a long history of veering off topic away from anime anyway. Second, we're quite fine losing our one or two listeners and going into the negative. And third, this is about stating that we're for equality. Because staying silent, much less openly disagreeing with it, is to be on the wrong side of history. And that's my opening statement tonight. I've said enough for a couple minutes. I need to take a sip of water. Do you guys want to add anything to that? Either of you? That um, James, do you want to say anything? No, there like there's not much I can say. Like I think Mike summed it up for all of us. And this is, as we know, a very complex issue and stuff like that. And we've seen how this can go wrong, especially since it's been reported around the world. I know people may have heard about. NHK in Japan, and it was probably for a domestic audience about how they did a news report, and they had a video with computer graphics, and supposedly it was not done well, to put it lightly. There was no mention of George Floyd, and there was talk of inequality and income and stuff like that, and the way they portrayed uh, Black people in the video, unfortunately, was not uh, racially uh, correct or sensitive, to put it lightly, but Hopefully, as we talk about this, it can be about education and educating everyone around the world and trying to move the needle forward. And that is the most important thing. And I study history a lot and stuff like that. And it's things we've been talking about 
of how history is taught in classrooms and how we have to look at the full picture and educate people about because yes the civil war happened yes slavery did end but then things changed and stuff like that and yes civil rights did happen but things still changed and stuff like that there are still issues that we still need to work out all of us together it doesn't happen overnight and neither is this going to happen overnight that we're going to be able to move forward we have to do it inch by inch and person by person to educate everyone so that we can all live in a respectable, decent way. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like even now, as we're moving along inch by inch, we just got to remember not to, uh, not to stop moving. Uh, we have good momentum going. Uh, obviously what happened was terrible and it's a, it's a big watershed moment. Uh, I think it's one of those things that's going to be written about in history books and so forth, but we just can't, we can't just quit, I guess. We, we got we to gotta keep pushing. The problem is word has come down over the last 24 hours that there's been an incident in Atlanta. And I'll read up a little bit more on this, but it doesn't sound good. The police uh, chief has reportedly stepped down. But uh, we have to take a look at that. There's going to be a still a lot of issues to come. If I can make a suggestion on any must-watch, this past weekend's episode of Last Week Tonight with John Oliver was actually really, really good and interesting to watch. Yeah, he he, he broke it down so so. It, 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 he did it in a way which was which was very digestible, very easy to understand and follow. Broke it down bit by bit, talked about the history, just basically explaining it. He did a really good job. Uh, Trevor Noah had a good one from um, a few weeks back, mm -hmm. uh, but that was more like of an initial uh, reaction to it, I guess. But 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 John Oliver's piece, I mean, that was some uh, that's some good research right there, man. Both, both, yeah. Trevor Noah and John Oliver also mentioned an author by the name of Kimberly Jones. Google her. She had a viral video, about a six-minute rant, I believe. And that is something you must see. I swear to God, that is worth a watch. You'll squirm a little bit. But it's a great watch if you want to get a real good sense of the anger right now, if you yeah. don't have it already. It's definitely helpful with those, isn't it? Because it's like you can at least start people on the right track and stuff like that instead of saying, well, I don't know what to do. It's like you get that digest and then hopefully it moves them forward to further research and further educate themselves and find the right places to go to to even donate or help out and stuff like that. Because there have been many places you could donate and move the needle forward or to help through other means. Mm -hmm. Actually... Maybe that's part of where I am. I'm, lend lend a dollar or two. Lend a little bit of money. I don't know of too many in, in Toronto, actually. I know Angela put up a couple links on her Twitter. I will double check that in the near future. And uh, in the show notes to come after this, uh, after this taping, maybe I'll add a, a link or two. I know she's mentioned a few. And if you guys have any... Um, to mention, please uh, let me know before the end of the episode. That said, I don't know what else we can add to that right now. Yeah, I think I think it's only best if we 
don't know, maybe move on to our next topic. Best to move on now, and there'll be plenty of time to talk about this. Not necessarily here. Well, for sure, we'll probably bring it up here every so often. There'll be plenty of other chances to do so. But uh, it's not as if uh, we really lighten up from this point forward. Mohammed uh, joins us this week, missing out from the digest we did a couple weeks ago, which was in the aftermath of the deaths of Zach Birchi and Hana Kimura. So we wanted to start tonight basically where we left off on our digest a couple weeks ago and follow up on further thoughts concerning Zach and Kimura. In the couple of weeks that have happened since then, a little bit more has come out in terms of the Hannah Kimura death. We'll talk about that. There was a Twitch memorial service put on by Justin Savikas for Zach. And we'll talk about that too. And obviously, a couple weeks later, maybe we have some further thoughts. So I want to spend the first little bit of tonight's episode following up on all of this. And let's start with Zach again. Friday, May 29th, the memorial service happened for Zach Birchie on Twitch, which also served as the final episode of the ANN cast. And the entire time was reminiscing from colleagues and Jacob, Zach's uh, ex-husband. It was quite a listen, I have to say. And you start to get a little bit of a better sense of what type of character Zach was to the people closest to him through their voices. And for many of them, you could hear the strain on their voices. It was a little eye-opening to people who didn't know Zach all that well. I appreciated watching that personally. And it did remind me of one little thing, and this is going back to our little story, the story that I relayed at the beginning of the Digest when I mentioned my little conflicts with Zach and how he came after me during the ANN TV era because I let myself get too carried away in talking about it and, and not necessarily criticizing it, but giving feedback for it. And my friend who was in the broadcast industry came on to defend me and they traded shots for a little while. I never mentioned how the online, online barbs ended. It just ended with the simple agreement between Zach and my friend. It was acknowledging that they were protecting their friends. Zach thought I was being too harsh on his colleagues who were just starting this project, which didn't last long, obviously, as you now know. He thought I was being too harsh on them, which, for reference, I wasn't. Wasn't trying to be. If anything, I was just too enthusiastic. And my friend, he was just sticking up for me. And 
basically with those words, it was a truce. Nothing ever became of it beyond that. James, what was your, your thoughts on the, on the service, just quickly? On the service itself, it, it definitely was a longer service, but it didn't feel like that because I re- you, we, you could feel the heartfeltness from every single speaker, and they probably could have had more. And the good thing is that you can still get it on the Anime News Network uh, website if you want to listen to it as the final uh, episode of the ANCAST. And it was done in an audio fashion, so you don't have to worry on that front. But it was very from the heart. For reference, the visuals were just a bunch of slides of Zach and him hanging out with friends. They actually cycled a couple of them over. If it was a speaker who actually had had photos of them together, you would probably see a lot of those photos come up when they were speaking. So uh, James is right. You really weren't missing anything if you never saw the video. But they definitely gave us more insight into the man and stuff like that, especially outside of what some people knew about him. And that's always good to know and stuff like that. And it shows that a lot of people did care for him. And even in the Twitch chat, there were a lot of people that showed that they cared for him and stuff like that. So I think it was a very nice public send-off for him. Yeah. I would agree. Mo, do you have a thought to offer for a second on this? Um, so I, I never, I never met Zach. Um, I never really listened to A and I cast. You know, I've heard of it, and I've heard of him. Um, but you know, this is uh, it's, it's an obvious, obvious. It's, <laughs> ooh, sorry about that. It's an obvious tragedy. Um, and it just, it just reminds everyone of how, um, how, how, how fragile life is sometimes. You know. Um, I, I remind this to everyone all the time, but it's like when you get a chance to check in on your uh, on your friends, strong, stronger. Your strongest friends are are usually the ones who are uh, are usually hurting the most, I guess. And uh, and situations like this can obviously be avoided with, uh, I guess, just just being there for people, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But it, it's it's good to hear about the the service and all the love that's being spread about this. So it's it's, it's good. And we're all speaking as fellow podcasters. I mean, you were a podcaster, had your own show as well before in the, in the distant past, really ANN casts history begins when the version one era of this show basically came to an end. And so then I got, we come like, like at the, uh, the, the, the first renaissance of podcasting, I'm guessing, right? Basically. <laughs> and then as we came back over the last couple of years, ANNCast, unfortunately, was in its latter stages. There isn't too much else to be said. In many ways, Zach, we mentioned this before, Zach was very much an advocate for people who didn't have voices. He would have been out in a lot of those protests we are seeing now. And in many respects, he kind of set the tone for the way fandom has evolved in North America. He certainly spurred it forward. Like I said, a couple weeks ago, the plight of inclusion, the cause for inclusion in anime fandom, lost its biggest soldier. He would have been out there. Almost certainly. Everyone says that, and I believe that. 
So from that, from Zach, we have to go back to Hannah Kimura. Further fallout has come out concerning her death, and it looks like it was a suicide. I've had to reconsider some of my, some of my own thoughts from there a little bit, but I'll get back to that at another point a little later on. Since uh, Kimura's death, the current season of Terrace House, Terrace House Tokyo 2019-2020, has been canceled. Any episodes that were pending to be shown will not be shown. Then right now there seems to be a bit of a disagreement as to what to do with the current episodes that have already made it on air and online. Fuji TV has pulled the entire series from their website and their video streaming service in Japan. But Netflix has kept up all of the episodes that have been put online to this point. They just won't add anymore. And as mentioned, there are a handful of episodes still to be put up. So that's where we stand in terms of Terrace House. And the status of the series altogether is now up in the air. As I said, the cancellation of the current season has been confirmed. But there doesn't seem to be any agreement as to the long-term future of the series altogether. Some people are, a lot of people are saying that the series really is in danger. How could it come back in its current form? Fellow podcasters who like to talk a lot about Terrace House have also mentioned they're not going to talk about it anymore because it's beginning to come to light that there weren't many support systems within the production house that was behind the show. So they really weren't there for its cast when they were needed. And that's kind of a reminder of some of the issues that surrounded Kimura's death, especially since a lot of them link it to various types of cyberbullying. A lot of other other reality TV show stars, including ones from the show Terrace House itself, have come out saying they're regularly bullied as well. Some say whenever they try and speak up, especially to somebody who could do something, they are just told to suck it up. It's part of the job to take the abuse. I'm not totally sure that's a good response, to be honest. It's a it's a terrible response, <laughs> and I, hey. I, I I feel like that 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 might have something to do with more in the sense of I don't know like the the almost disposability of the people on Terrace House, um in the sense of like if you don't do there's like a thousand other people who will do kind of situation. Well, I find that a bit disturbing. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> exactly. More than a little disturbing. Let's be honest. Correct. The NHK site mentioned. A, lo- a line that I found kind of disturbing. It was in one of their articles on the NHK World website. Emika Mizukoshi, who was also on one of the house guests on t- this season's version of Terrace House, talked about receiving similar abuse. And she just said, quote, People told me to die, and they said the abuse is part of the job, but people who appear on TV have feelings too. I hope 
that wasn't said by the same person in the same breath because that gives a sense as to how clueless anybody in a significant position could be. It has to be mentioned that the Japanese government will further investigate these type of issues in terms of cyberbullying and leading to cases of suicide. And there's a part of me that's kind of bothered by that. It's sort of like this. There have been cases for decades of young people being constantly bullied and bullied and bullied and driven to the point of suicide. It's happened for decades. In the social media era, it's taken on another form. So these type of suicides in light of cyberbullying have been commonplace for some time. And what bothers me now is we're somebody in power the government cares now. This has been going on for a while. Why now then? Not to say this isn't a like they shouldn't be caring, but why? But the timing. I think to me, it's just Hannah Kimura is has become a bit of a international celebrity. Aside from her time on Terrace House, which has given her some. Significant international exposure. Anybody who, Terrace House altogether has a significant international exposure. She was also well known on the pro wrestling scene. A lot of North American stars have expressed their anger and grief over her death. She knew quite a few North American pro wrestlers and was quite well known to them. So with all this going on, with what happened to her, this shines a really bad light on the issue in Japan. We, many of us have known about it for years, even though maybe in a fictional sense, we've seen it depicted a lot in anime, in the anime and manga, and sometimes the J-dramas we've heard about and watched. But we shine on it now, and there's a part of me that just says... The government is giving, making a stance now because it would look really silly on them if they didn't make a statement of any sort to this point. But that's, uh, I guess, where I stand on that. Good that something that they did say something. It's a pretty rough issue, but it does have me wondering a little bit about the whole thing concerning reality TV stars outside of what they do outside of the shows themselves there i admit maybe now a little bit of guilt tripping too by my own admission in in the couple of weeks we've been off since the digest i've watched a handful of episodes of the last season of terrace house the one set in nagano opening new doors and once again i admit a degree of amusement in watching some of the follies of the of the cast it's just well, I mean, by my own admission, I've uh, enjoyed some of the missteps, but I'd like to think I leave whatever ridicule I have for the uh, house guests to nothing more than the confines of the show. 
And I try to look at them as just characters within a show that I'm finding a degree of entertainment in. But public figures understand they agree to a certain amount of scrutiny and criticism when they sign up for the job. But where is the line between that and basically cyberbullying? And of course, the latter part is not part of the job. And what also bothers me a little bit more as I kept reading a little bit more about the topic was, in some ways, the ridicule for Terrace House stars begins within, with those little celebrity segments where the commentators get, to get their say. And sometimes what they said can be quite harsh. And it's come to the point where a few of those celebrity hosts have expressed some regret themselves. So is it worth the fame? I don't know. Do you think it's worth the fame? Tough question, what do you think, Mike. Tough question, Mike. Um, I don't know. It's it's like a really deep, double-edged sword on that, right? I mean, on one hand, you you want to do something that you like and enjoy, because it brings joy to the world for whatever reason. But at the same time, um, you have to then put yourself out there, right? I mean, isn't that the whole point of of of, of people becoming celebrities? I mean, it's like you're doing something that brings joy to people, hopefully, but mm -hmm. at the, at the cost of giving up all your, I don't know, privacy, humanity. It, it's, it's, it's weird. It's with, with me, part of the big difference now, I kind of hinted at it is social media. Oh God. Yeah. I true. think that seems to be the single biggest difference because what social media kind of does is, make make the celebrities even more accessible to the public and that's good for the fans who want to interact more with you know people they've become fans of but then it it's not good because you can get the trolls just as easily getting that same access or at the very least getting the notice getting the notice of a celebrity by just plain being a an asshole. No, absolutely. It's it's it's. it's what do they say? It's it's like you get like a hundred positive comments, but then that one negative comment somehow outweighs and outshadows everything else said. Mm -hmm. It's 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 uh, it's bad. It's really bad. I mean, <laughs> I, I I I don't know how other celebrities deal with it. Maybe they're at that level where they're so famous they don't have to interact with negative people, I guess. I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough. It's very tough. I'm just thinking to myself, some are, some just can roll with the punches and throw some good ones themselves. Not everybody. Oh, yeah. James, you have a thought uh, to share? Oh, it's the same as you guys were saying that social media has kind of made the echo effect go even further and stuff like that. And, we know across the world, even before this, that governments have tried to bring these people to task, Twitter, Facebook, and so on and so forth. And we're still fighting it. And they still have all these people trying to find the content that shouldn't be there. And it's just like this never-ending battle. 
And so we're still trying to figure out, and hopefully there is a way, and education, of course, is another piece of the puzzle. But the other thing is that we've heard the thing about this new age of people growing up on social media and how that's affecting their minds, especially with the discussion of should there be a like button, for example, on Facebook, because everyone's looking for those likes, right? So. No, I, I, I hear you. I mean, another, another point would be just to uh, remove the incentive for numbers and so forth. I know Instagram got rid of their counters and so forth, but it, it, that, that only just lessens the status, I guess, or something. But it, uh, Well, social media has fake haves and have-nots, I'm, exactly. I've, by my observation. It, it was strange. I've mentioned this before. I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast, but I was listening to Conan O'Brien's podcast. And in one episode, he was interviewing both Hillary and Chelsea Clinton. And there was one line in the episode that that sticks out. And it was when they were talking about, you know, social media and online trolls and misinformation and all that stuff on the internet. And Conan simply said, I think technology has outpaced humanity to this point. Humanity, human evolution has not caught up with technology. Which I thought was an interesting point in many ways. And I think that's a, a fair point to put it lightly because think of it this way is that we have a lot of anonymity on the internet and stuff like that for what we can do and stuff like that. And obviously, if you were next to that person in real life, how many of those people would say the exact same thing they're oh, saying? Yeah, in their an anonymity, you know what I mean? Anonymity gives you fake, gives you a, a fake bravery in many plus, ways. Plus, plus, let's not forget the ease of use. I mean, you could anonymously mail out hate mail, but that still takes time and effort to go through the post office, right? Then we've That's heard it. everyone has their bots, right? And it's like sending out their messages. So it becomes even easier for these harassment campaigns and stuff like that. It just becomes worse. As I said, maybe the technology has outpaced to this point. It had me also thinking maybe the one of the worst things you could do is always read the comments. To that degree, sites that choose not to have comment boards Maybe it's not a bad thing. I, I look I, at the two. That's like a oh, double-edged sword in, its, in and of itself as well, right? I mean, removing the comments section is like telling people that um, they're no longer allowed to congregate in the town square to discuss stuff. I mean, you, you want people to congregate. You want people to discuss. But you just want people to be assholes about it, right? So, I mean, uh, we got to find some kind of happy medium between no comment section and, like, you know, it's it's hilarious sometimes because I end up seeing comments that say you the mods took away my last comment and my last comment before that. But well, it devol comment boards can devolve real fast though, especially if you like when I read an article, when I see an article and it says this this article has so and so hundred number of comments, and I just think to myself. This isn't good. As I start to read, uh, as I'm tempted to click on it and start to read through some of that. A lot of other celebrities have been known to say, 
I do not read the comments at all, which is a good thing. I mm-hmm. think a good thing. At least it keeps them focused on what maybe the right things to be doing. Sometimes it's okay to try and keep a stiff lip. Just block it out. It's hard to. And yes, I grant there there are points where it just becomes really hard to. But if it's possible, maybe that's not a bad thing either. But I don't really know. Maybe this is the thing about not being famous here. <laughs> oh, God, dude, that's so true. <laughs> well, well, had me thinking back to... We, we just talked about Zach and I, and I keep harping on the theme as much as the interactions with Zach were not pleasant. I wanted to be fair to the guy. And once again, uh, to be fair to the guy, when he came after me in the forms all those years ago, it was obvious who it was. So when I look back on that whole thing, there aren't really any hard feelings because he never hid who he was when he came after me. And looking back on that, I respect that. And I respect it even more because he admitted really he was just defending his, his people. So, I was really, so in the end, I was actually quite cool with that. Remember, we, remember in the version one era, we had that troll who kept saying we had no credibility because we can't pronounce anything properly in Japanese. That one I had more issue of an issue with, mainly because, mainly because whoever that person was, they hid, hid from view. Whatever, they, they just went under their, their handle, and that was it. We didn't really know who they were. We didn't know if they were who they said they were. And that one I had a bigger issue with. And looking back on it, I we did respond in many different forms. They got an entire recording in a response. Part of me didn't want to do it. I'm glad I did it, but there's also a part of me that still felt uncomfortable having done it when I think about it. I, and I'm reflecting on this because I re-listened to it again this week as I as I updated all the links in the website. So I re-listened to various parts of the version one era, all 70 some odd episodes and seven digests and three or four on my minds now, I guess, space to ranch, we called them back then. So it, it, it was, it had me really thinking quite a bit. I, and I reread some of those comments too. And the cool part is most of the comments were by friends, hardly any listeners. But there isn't, I don't know, is there anything else to really add yeah. to the, any of this? I mean, it's, it's, there's this book that I read a few years back uh, called The Circle. They made it into a shitty movie with, with Emma Watson. It's basically a future where like Facebook and Google and stuff became this one social media company and had this whole idea where anonymity was no longer a thing in order to use these platforms you need to be like a person a real person and an identifiable person and like if the internet moves into that sort of realm where to comment on anything or to be in a message board about anything you'd have to like you know be a real person like in order to leave an actual facebook post on something you need to be an actual person kind of situation i I feel like that might reduce a lot of this anonymity keyboard warrior nonsense but 
you know, like I said, double-edged sword in regards to, to privacy and so forth, right? It's just, it's tough. It's a tough, it's a tough, tough situation. Austin, you have a thought? I think we've pretty much covered our thoughts uh, to an extent on this one. And as we said, all we can do is move forward uh, one step at a time. And hopefully we're going in the right direction. And these things are changing and getting things done. You have to be in for the long game because it takes time to make these type of generational changes. And the reason why it feels like it's been so fast is the 21st century, the last century, we've had so many changes that we've never seen in the history of the world that has affected the environment, how we interact with each other, how close we are to each other technologically. And so it's been a lot of changes. And so to get things done on a social level, it takes time and stuff like that. There's no easy fixes and it takes everyone together. And that's, that's a big probably, thing that takes a lot of time, yeah, especially with how the, many billion people we have, right? <laughs> you probably just hit it on the head. It's there is no quick fix. Like I said, technology is more further out compared to humanity, probably. Anyway, we really, really should lighten it up. We stuck on a whole bunch of common themes, I think, in that first segment. But, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, hopefully when we come back, we'll have, you know, I don't know, to join us. We'll probably still be ranting against the industry, but uh, I think it might be a little bit more funny now. Actually, what's coming up next? Hopefully, Kevin might be yeah. next. Yeah, they just—I just got a text from him. He's, he's on his way. He's on his way. <laughs> he's on his Great. way. Oh, good. So- we get to we get to we get to interrogate him for a couple minutes, and then <laughs> we're gonna do the bullets. Lots of stuff that have, has caught our attention there, mainly on the streaming side. A few other things, but. Certainly a, a number of things that caught our attention over the last couple of weeks. And we'll talk about that after the break. As I said, it's the Bullets coming up next when the roundtable continues on the Six Talk Podcast Network. And the podcast now continues on this late Saturday night from various points in Toronto online via the six talk podcast network, official podcast anime North, as we continue in conversation with Austin, Nicholas Shamarki. Kevin now joins us after his type of day. Uh, Thanks for finally making it. There's this phrase (laughs) I hear once and don't worry. We didn't do the, uh, we didn't do the attendance gag on you. Okay. We'll see about that. (laughs) There's this phrase I heard once. If you're going to be late to the party, be real late. (laughs) Because if you're only a little late, people will be mad at you. But if you're real late, they'll be just glad you made it. So uh, welcome back. How was your day, by the way? How was your day? It was very tiring. Long hike, I heard. Yeah. Yes. Well, so we're going to see how long you can last. Yeah, 20 kilometers. Oh my gosh. Well, that, that, that's impressive. A hike in the East End for 20K. Yeah, I, I'm kind of surprised too. I'm kind of surprised too, to be honest with you. How many were, how many went uh, with you? Uh, four other people. Just for reference here in Ontario, 
they have relaxed some of the social gathering restrictions. We've gone into bubbles here and as of this social weekend. Social bubbles, right? <laughs> right. So you can connect with another another group, but only one other group. That's what we're called. It can be up to 10 in your social bubble is what they say. Also, businesses in a chunk of the province are opening up in what's being referred to as phase two, but not in the greater Toronto area. Part of phase two, a lot more businesses reopened, including a lot of malls and maybe more importantly for me, barbershops and hair salons. I still badly need a haircut. But that's not the case right Dude, now. Sw- in... oh, well, yeah, well, we a... talked about that. Sorry? Well, if you're willing to go to Waterloo or Barrie. Uh, it's a bit of, well, I'll probably spend the gas uh, trying to get to somewhere to do a haircut, <laughs> which was kind of sad. So I'm personally waiting a few more weeks, I guess, for that. But yeah, yeah. the GTA is stuck all the way in phase one. So what an inconvenience. But it's the way it's going right now. I guess we're the light the light is at the end of the tunnel for what started back in mid March. Uh. Anyway. So let's uh continue. Kevin, do you have anything to add to anything we may have talked about in the first segment? I gave you the rundown already. Is there something you want to add to our discussions on Zach or Hanakimura? Yes, we can talk about hmm. the Black Lives Matter stuff, if that's something you want to rehash as well. So I did attend the uh, memorial or the memoriam on Twitch for Zach. And I have to say, despite having, despite never knowing the man personally, there were times where I teared up. Uh I will say yeah. listening to Jacob's words were really hard. Yeah, I teared up. I teared up during most of Jacob's uh, eulogy. And I, I like Justin's as well. Mm-hmm. I, I It was very poignant. It was just like, I, I didn't expect, I actually didn't expect to sit through the entire thing, but I ended up. It was a good hour and forty minutes. Right? Yeah, I I stuck around and I I didn't really I didn't comment at all. I just kind of not kind of, but I just sat there and watched the whole thing. I just, I really didn't feel like I had anything to contribute, really, having not known him. But yeah, none of us none of us really do. We said our piece a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. I think. But you know it. It's just like it's still kind of hard to believe that he's gone, like because him being the face of ANN, and it's I think it's I'm curious to see how the editorial content is going to go from here on out. Like I don't expect too many changes, but uh, I'm curious to see where they're going to take it. Lindsay Leverage is the chief right now. There, right. I've noticed, yes. Yes. She got the chief executive title, or I, I forgot the exact... Editor-in-chief. Thank you. But given what we've seen so far, especially their reaction to uh, the events unfolding, uh, 
I'd say that it's steady as she goes, and it's going to be the same you would expect from them. That could be a good thing. I think that'll be a good thing. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the vacuum with uh, ANN cast also now off the air permanently. That's, I think. Unfortunately, they'll have to retool. That's what I think is going to happen. Be a re- but they'll probably wait a long time before they even think about bringing something back, I'm sure. As I said, we also mentioned Hannah Kimura again. And I'm going to just restate this one more time because I don't think I uh, said it uh, clearly in, in the last segment. And that's in, my, in relation to the Japanese government reaction about wanting to do something in light of what happened to Hannah Kimura. And I'm wondering about it, if only because these type of suicides have been commonplace in Japan for years. Suicides that that go to uh, somebody being bullied and pushed too far to that point. It's been commonplace for decades there. And I think that Kimura's death might be a more of a tipping point because it's shown a very uncomfortable international spotlight on the problem for Japan. And for the Japanese government not to do anything would make them look bad. So, so I'm wondering if some of this is self-serving. That's, that's mm. my feelings on it. It's good that they're doing something. It's just, it, it just had to be something like this to happen. Anyway, Let's move on. It's the bullets segment. Uh, time to lighten it up a little bit. These are little things that aren't meant to be big things, but who knows which way these could go in the next oh little bit. So where do you want to start tonight with the bullets? Well, do either do any of you have a thought where you want to start with the bullets tonight, or should I just throw or should I just shoot one out randomly and just see where where, where that goes? Yeah, why don't we just throw one out and see how we go? Cloud Matsuri, I mean, then. Let's start Cloud Matsuri, because yeah. you guys know more about this than I do, aside from the fact people were reading yeah, a lot there was out some of interesting. It. Yeah, it was interesting with the virtual conventions. So it's like Cloud Matsuri happened uh, the last weekend of May, and that was from Anime Limited. So it was the 30th and 31st of May. Anime Limited uh, held it, and they're a UK-based publisher. And the way it sounded is that we would be able to uh, watch it in North America and stuff like that as well. And I thought, oh, I'll go and try it out because they had some interesting panels. And they had one, which was a fireside uh, chat I wanted to watch between uh, Andrew Partridge, CEO of Anime Limited, and then the Manga UK uh, CEO, Jerome. And then they had a panel uh, discussing their licenses and then some Japanese guests. But when I went to go and watch on the YouTube channel, which is how they were doing it, it said, you are locked out and (laughs) are not allowed to watch this. And I'm in Canada. And I'm like, well, that happened. And I remembered Funimation when they announced their online con. And some people in Europe had that same reaction, stuff like that. That, well, it's great you're having this, but I'm locked out of it. And some of them were in regions that they uh, had licenses for and stuff like that through subsidiaries because remember uh, sony has bought many anime publishers not just funimation but madman and also uh, manga uk and that so mm-hmm. and basically it was like an at, a, uh, international anime network of some sort now yeah well it was funny too thinking about the funimation one just for a quick sec is that if you do want to go to that convention 
you better sign up for it because you have to have your virtual con badge to actually attend. <laughs> and so I have gotten my virtual con badge. And don't worry, it doesn't cost any money. But who knows? Um, are they limited? Do they have no, limited they are limited, badges? of course. They, they are limited, so there's of course, no, but who knows? There's no fire regulations we're talking here. I don't think there's any social distancing uh, bubbles no, you no, have to worry about. No capacity. <laughs> no worries about uh, yeah. about capacity here, is there? Your computer can run it. I'm sure they'll accept it. It but, makes no um, sense. What, to have the, like, the badge? Well... To be reach and locked, like okay, if you're showing your content, like if you're showing some of it, like if you're like if it's like you're showing like licensed content, like fine. But if it's just like a Q and A with like Science Saru or Studio Orange, like I don't see why I should be region locked out of that. That's probably a fair statement. Yeah, that was the question mark. But yeah, I was region locked out of basically that whole channel. For the whole convention stuff like that and so i guess they took the easier route and stuff like that instead of as you said doing it panel by panel right so and i'm not sure how that would work on the youtube platform or any other platform mm -hmm. it's like you're gonna have it's like you're making me go through the effort of like getting a vpn <laughs> and it's funny too so we talk about doing all this stuff but there was actually one funny bit of news from at least the anime limited one. That would have been the one if they were going to lock a panel and say you can't do it in your region. It would have been that one because of licenses, right? And, and so, even then, it's like if, you, if you're if you showing content, fine. But if you're not going to show content, don't fucking lock me out. <laughs> asinine. But I have a thought the funny that thing about on. that was... Uh, the licenses they did announce for the UK market, it was interesting. Ava, they talked about the Blu-ray coming next year for the UK market and English-speaking yeah. markets in Europe, which is nice. We know we're going to be later for that. The other oh. one that I hope someone brings over here that they announced two ones that they're bringing over to Europe and UK was um, Bartender, which yeah. is from 1996. And then the other one was Planetes. Which nope. was the Sunrise Show that hasn't nope. been. Bartender is not that old. Bartender was yeah, in the two thousands. Yeah, it was two thousand six. We're talking plan say, but planets. Mm. Yeah, planets is yeah. surprising because that's, that's old. That is an old one. It was one of but those ones that just never came back out here. Yeah, well, yeah, that's it's an odd one in that sense. Yeah, like it's something you would think Discotech would pick up for those type of two uh, shows and stuff like that. Hmm. And We're then asking... we get to the. Well, it's always trying to find the find other material, I guess, related to it. I, I have a note here saying "be the beginning." Where does that fit into all of this? So that was the one I was going to tell you about next, which was interesting because it wasn't just a UK and Europe license; it was actually them saying they got it for North America as well, which is a first for them saying that they're going to release something like that over here. Now, that doesn't include My My Miracle, which they did a Kickstarter and they had it for the whole English-speaking world. So, but this is the first one they announced and they're going to bring over. And they had said, we're going to do a free ride stuff and we'll let you know further details. And the other thing that's interesting about Be the Beginning from IG is that is a co-production with Netflix. It was only on Netflix and that's how it was released and Netflix owns it. And so that's the mm -hmm. first one they've mm -hmm. ever brought out physically that someone has got out of the vault, so to speak. Well, Netflix so. is going to figure heavily in the, in the later bullets. So we'll come back to them 
Well, pretty soon, actually. I'm pretty sure we'll come And it was soon. interesting, uh, too, Mike, on that one, the Be the Beginning, where they're having this addition they showed and stuff like that, is that later on we found out they're partnering uh, Anime Learn to bring it to North America, Shump Factory, and that is going to help them bring in, distribute mm-hmm. it for them in North America. And that ties into, we saw them uh, teaming together to bring the limited editions of Promare in August and then Weathering With You in November. Oh, well, and so the, uh, so November is the release date, a home video release That's date? for the limited collector's edition, uh, the regular edition, and the Steelbook for Weathering With You are coming out in September, oh, a, a year after we watched it at TIFF. A year, well, that, that's, that's, that's a time frame I'm, I've got, kind of gotten used to. But there, it'll be a steel book. Weathering with you will be a steel book this time around. A uh, steel book and a regular edition in September, and then the limited uh, collector's edition, the one I talked about that they're partnering with Anime Limited, is going to be two months later in November. Mm. Call me interested. And that's what they kind of did with uh, Promaria. It's like a few yeah. months mm-hmm. later. Well, but what would you go with, limited or steel book? I think. A lot of people probably might go with the limited because they do some really great limited editions and stuff like that. Promary has the art book and then the CD and stuff like that. And it's a hard uh, collection uh, box. Mm-hmm. I know it's not related. I don't think they're the. it's exactly the same way, but I still have my your name sitting here sealed up. I should name here a mm-hmm. bit later or maybe not. I don't know yet. But uh, no, they, it's interesting seeing how this relationship has come full circle. I was telling you that, Mike, as well, because before it's like you could kind of see this coming in a way because originally uh, there was a Kickstarter way back when that Anime Limited did for Patima Inverted. And it was for just the extras, like they were just saying, okay, you can buy your regular copy and then put it in this box, which had like an art book, your box, your script, and all this other goodies that you could get from the Kickstarter, but it was only for the United Kingdom and Ireland, and then I think France and Belgium. No one in North America could do it. They kept on telling everyone, well, you're just going to have to talk to G-Kids and just buy their regular editions. So I think they got so many people talking to them that maybe that started a conversation. And here we are, they're doing titles that they know people want and say hey we'll give them this special extra release and teamed up to make that happen yeah uh i see some video game companies have done this for limited editions and that puts a burden on the retailer because you could very well have those things languish there for months and months and years i saw it firsthand when i used to work at eb so just give me the damn Blu-ray in my box, please. Like, come on. I think it depends on the series and stuff like that. Just and drag it out. We'll see Milk what it. happens with them if they do it the more limited. Because some of them, they've hit the targets and they just are gone like that. And some of them, as we saw, like with Anaplex and other things, they make it retailer specific. Like, this is a right stuff exclusive or something like that. So that it's a limited market. It's not, as you said, the EB effect or the GameStop effect where you just see them at the top near the ceiling, just sitting there collecting dust until they're down to next to nothing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, as I said, they just milk it. Uh, keep reminding me, though, on that limited edition weathering with you. 
that might be one I'm interested in. Not as much Promare. I have no issue with bands of it. Just not not something I'd go out of my way for myself. But uh, weathering with you for sure. So keep reminding me in the lead up to the limited edition release. Oh, I still got to pre-order that Promare. Yeah, but get on it, young man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, if they're going to do special editions, yeah, those two would be the two to team up on and that stuff like that. And I'm sure they figured, well, you know what? Why don't we team up? And so Anime Louie is doing the point, and then they're just doing distribution. So that's kind of nice helping each other out. Yeah. How everything's Nothing wrong with that, yeah. Well, it's business, right? People and this also people means, could benefit. This also means that there's hope for Netflix shows to come to come out of North America now. Well, we'll see what happens because it definitely is a black box, and people have been demanding stuff. And some of the creators know that as well. We've heard it about Little Witch Academia and stuff like that. I know at Anime Next, when all the creative team went there, they asked people and said, "How many people wa- watched on Netflix?" and then how many of you watched it in other places? And they had to ask that question a second time. They said they weren't going to pass judgment on them. And the room filled up with hands a lot quicker, to say the least. And they were bigger than the Netflix portion, to say the least, as well. Mm-hmm. So, And they were saying the thing that it was kind of a deal that was made and stuff like that. And some of those, a lot of those shows, Netflix, if they are produced, it's like they own them lock, stock, and barrel. They have the full rights to so that's the interesting thing. Too. The other question it's will be their partners and stuff like that. Go ahead, Kevin. The other question will be, uh, will they include the ADV dub on top of the new dub? Which I suspect no, but mm-hmm. I'm curious how that will turn one? out. We're yes. Yeah. Yes. I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet on it. Uh, there was always a talk as to what became of the audio for the ADV dub. There's always like the actual ownership of the of the of the ADV dub is in question. Yeah, if memory serves me right. Yeah, those are the. They could right they could very well own that, given that it was early enough. Who the, for that to be commonplace? Yeah, uh, you mean studio, are we talking Gynax or? Uh, like I know in the past, like usually. Like for those older shows from the '90s, like more often than not, the studios had the full rights to those dubs, so they wouldn't have belonged to. Yeah, the English studios, yeah, where it was recorded and stuff like that because the contracts weren't fully put into place. Where it's like, okay, we have that ownership and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So it's contracts involved, but some of those in that case, Kevin. I would think ADV would be okay with it because you've seen some of the Kickstarter stuff, uh, even with um, the recent one from Anime Ego, where they've allowed them to use their dub of Gunsmith Cats and then the other one Mm. that they had coming forward. And they've been, and John Lambert has been receptive to them. Remember, a lot of the voices from the ADV dub, you know, one of them is married to a former head of ADV, right? So, okay. I also I also wonder how much Anime Limited paid for those rights. That, that that is probably something we won't quickly find out. Yeah. Considering 
And I, I feel like for that one, I just don't know. Like, I watched Be the Beginning, and it was all right. And you could see where they were going. It kind of had the psychopath feel, and it was its own show. But I don't know if it got the streams they probably hoped for and stuff like that. But you never know. Maybe they did. But I wonder if that's why of all these shows we've seen them get, that that's the first one that they were able to get out of the vault. Because some of the others, I definitely think they would have got the views like Lola Witch Academia, Violet uh, Evergarden, and so on. Seven Deadly Sins. Everyone talks yeah. Seven Deadly Sins. Like, oh, who knows, really? Like, but a lot of those, like, a lot of those genuine Netflix originals, like the ones they actually put money in for, they're not that great. And that's the thing too is that all the big studios have went to Netflix. You've seen that because. They have the creative freedom. You're not doing like a broadcast version and a Blu-ray version. You're getting the money to get the thing done. But then, as they were saying in a recent article, they're just not getting the royalties or anything back. They just buy it lock, stock, and barrel. And then they don't get the information from Netflix on how it performs. So if they want to do uh, another round of talks for a new show or whatever, they don't have any data to say, well, what am I going to get out of you this time? Well, basically, why would I'm Netflix want to give them the leverage? This is a perfect segue to the second bullet. Tokyo Keizai. Am I pronouncing that right? I know I get flamed if I don't. There was an article from, on Tokyo Keizai about the anime industry insiders apparently having some reservations about Netflix partnerships. So that's what you're referring to, right, James? Yeah, and so it's it's as we expected, as we just talked about right there, which is the reservation of, yeah, now they have this creative freedom, but now we're getting more of the information of what they're giving up for that and stuff like that, is that they now have to give up everything, It's it feels like. All their rights and stuff like that, they're not getting any royalties after the fact or anything like that. And if they do, they don't find out any numbers of how well it streams so that if they do want to do a new show and then sell it to Netflix, they won't know, okay, should I go higher or lower depending on the genre or depending on whatever, you know what I mean? But probably for them, they probably were still going for a high bar because a lot of the studios that were working with them are the high-end studios, the Kyoto Animation, Trigger, like it goes on and on. To me, it's Netflix has no interest in giving them leverage. So the fact that they don't have those numbers, it's not surprising to me. I mean, we see that all the time. And then time. the other. We see that like Apple and Amazon play versions of that game all the time. So that fact doesn't really surprise me. Even in like going back to sports, since we're all sports fans, you you hear you hear players' unions constantly wanting to open the books, but they are never. That is a big bone of contention during CBA negotiations. What are the numbers? So that just seems part and parcel to things we keep hearing about in other industries. That's just my own observation. Actually, one line that came uh, from the article that. Maybe I need a bit more of an explanation of. It goes like this. If the anime is a hit, it's a win for Netflix. But if it's a loss, it's our win. Can either of you explain that one to me just in a minute or so? A lot. It's what we just explained before, Mike. And that is 
if it is a hit, they'll never know. And they won't have known that if they do a similar show next time, they could get a better rate and stuff like that. But if it's a loss, then guess what? It's on Netflix. They take the full burden and stuff like that on their own. And that's one of the key things. So IG and all of them probably are doing uh, a certain rate, which is probably on the higher end. And they do get the one thing, as they admit, they get the time to make the product. It's probably a different process than trying to do a TV anime. You know what I mean? Because remember, Netflix is more on the binge model. And even that model, they've talked about and stuff like that, that it's different compared to the weekly model and that some people don't like that. It's like they rather get it as it's coming on Japan because a lot of the time they're still doing that broadcast, right, on TV mm-hmm. as well as doing that Netflix. And then some of the international audiences get it later. And that can affect piracy, as we saw with uh, Little Witch Academia, when they asked people to put their hands up. We can even go back to something like Orange is the New Black to put other other perspectives in when that was a thing. It's Netflix these days has started to go to the weekly model. That seems to be a fairly recent thing for them. Other reasons they have done that with the weekly model, it feels like the binge model has mostly been for the Western market, as we see. We're seeing it less than like we're seeing the binge model less and less. At least that's what's starting to stick out to me now. Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, it depends on who you are, right? I mean, I don't think Netflix is ever gonna get to a point where they no longer have the binge model. I think that's who they are at their core. Um, They might, I don't know, do like what. Disney Plus is doing with Mandalorian and do weekly episodes, but it's tough. It's tough. <laughs> well, but as I said, it's just the knows? weekly thing is just becoming a little bit more. It's it's a little bit more of a newer thing for the for the streaming services to have the weekly model. It's it seems to be something that's happened in the last couple years, but it really hasn't been through the history of streaming, at least the short history of the streaming model. And that's the other thing with the streaming model too, right? Is all the competition in the streaming sphere, some of them maybe are maybe more transparent to some of these other licensors and stuff like that on that part of the contract. Because remember, they're doing those physical editions and everything else too, like Funimation and Crunchyroll. But who knows, right? Because they're private companies as well, or part of public companies, I think. Yeah, partly to go lockstep with the weekly model is partly to go with it with lockstep with the actual broadcast in some of the home regions, I can see that. But you, you actually brought up an interesting point. The whole idea, because all there's a handful of major services now that are in competition with each other, they have to kind of do something to one-up each other in some form and to keep keep subscriptions going. Because I guess it, I guess you could say... It wouldn't be uncommon to see somebody just briefly come on to binge watch an entire series and then quickly cancel their subscription. Doesn't it makes the hassle, man? Hmm? That's what I would do. Hassle, but some today would do. Sure, that's what I would do. I mean, at that at at that point, you might as well just uh, pirate it. I guess, right? I mean, (laughs) you heard about how people are going back to torrents, right, Mo? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On that note, did you guys hey, torrent? Did you two torrent your uh, humble bundle already? Not yet. Never mind. We'll talk about that a bit later. Are we going to talk about uh, the countries that can't watch uh, Ghibli? Oh, come films on! You just ruined it. You ruined it. You ruined it. 
I was about to. I heard they're all like third world, terrible countries, oh, God. terrible people. Okay, well, uh, you just blew it. Ugh, maybe I should have just said it right away. What do North Korea, Syria, Crimea, China, Japan, and Canada all have in common? You already <laughs> wouldn't want to live there. Huh? Definitely wouldn't want to live there. Oh. Terrible human rights abuses. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Canada, sure. Japan, hardly possible <laughs> sometimes too. Well, these are the six, according to Jesse Betteridge, these are the six countries that do not have a streaming option right now for Studio Ghibli films. These six countries, I'll repeat, let's rifle them off one more time. North Korea, Syria, Crimea, China, Japan, Canada. And to that I say, hey, Japan, good company to be in. But yes, these are these are the six countries that apparently do not have any access whatsoever to a streaming version of Studio Ghibli films. Obviously, much of that, as we've noted in the past, is all tied to Netflix having rights, streaming rights to everywhere but Canada, the U.S., and Japan. In the case of likely North Korea, well. That's North Korea. China, I know, has its... Like, you must have a domestic alternative. Companies like Netflix would have trouble penetrating into China's market. Twitter, you have Baidu, etc., right? There has to be a domestic alternative. It must be, a, and it's usually the better one for the Chinese people. We can talk about the other political stuff with that, but that's just the way it is there. So Netflix has no presence there. And in turn, there's no options. Syria, Crimea. Well, obviously, we know those are the, those are war zones, practically. There's a lot of other issues there. And I guess that's just one of those things. But certainly had me thinking about one other thing. Towards the end of May, HBO Max came online. and. We all wondered what would happen with HBO Max in terms of Canada, especially since HBO programming is so tied to the Bell Media Crave service here in Canada. And we mm -hmm. quickly learned our answer right on day one. A good chunk of HBO Max's exclusive programming did end up on Crave. I think two or three key series. I forgot them off the top of my head. Yeah, it's that Anna Kendrick one. Anna Kendrick's one love. of them, yes. Yep. Her series. Uh, I don't know how many HBO Max exclusive series there are presently, but obviously we saw some of them there. The ones that anime fans cared about wasn't, though. And people here were, are kind of upset. Maybe upset is uh, is overstating it, but certainly disappointed. I think I think Jesse just simply said, "Does somebody want to write to Bell Media over this? I'm just too tired to do it myself." Paraphrasing. So that's the story now, where we stand on uh, HBO Max full programming in in Canada. It's only partly there, which has us wondering, so what gives, what's the story for any possible Studio Ghibli stuff to be streamed in Canada? Who has it? And what can be done to eventually have that happen? 
I guess I guess it belongs to HBO still. Presumably it yes. belongs to HBO, but Yeah. Probably on the North American rights US Canada since the Ghibli films are held uh, by G Kids and stuff like that. They're probably the ones that helped uh, Ghibli negotiate with HBO to have it on HBO Max. So it shouldn't be anything of rights issues. I think it's just the craziness of how these deals work uh, between the different companies, between corporate America and corporate Canada for the broadcasters and stuff like that, as we've seen in traditional TV. That's all I think it is. Just normal par for the course, unfortunately. It's, it's money. And so Bell Media and uh, HBO have to work it and, out. And it should hopefully be on at some point. You hope, anyway. On Crave, probably. It's it's just one of those weird things that should a brand name in elsewhere around the world want to come into Canada, usually a broadcaster that is well entrenched in Canada, a Canadian company would have a big say and probably the majority ownership in such a thing. So Horse would have the majority interest in things like, I'll rifle names that I know are there, Oprah Winfrey Network, Food, Food Network Canada, Cartoon Network, so to speak, right? Where and we think about Rogers in that with uh, City TV and all those. Well, Rogers programs. has. Well, I'm trying to think of uh, networks that, like international named networks that would be in the within the Rogers brand. We had G4 before. We don't anymore. Bell was probably a little bit more obvious. I mean, we have TSN. I mean, ESPN does have a ownership stake in that. HBO obviously is since that's the one we're constantly talking about. Certain certain discovery media properties, that's actually split between, between Course and Bell Media. Vice programming, Vice programming is within Crave. Showtime programming is within Crave. Stars programming is within Crave and then turn Bell. Right? Oh... <sighs> So, like, the presence of international networks, American networks, are probably dependent on a, a, Canadian, a Canadian holder in the process. And with it comes a lot of muddled things. Some of it has to do with domestic programming, related programming that, that's mixed into the mainstream programming within. But it, it's a... It, it's a, it's a well, muddled. How many times am I going to say muddled in the next couple minutes? Because that's just like four times. Uh, that's how many four times. times. How many? <laughs> I I guess four, four more times. <laughs> muddled. Take a shot. More to come on that. But for me, I have I have a Crave subscription right now. I it was nice. Like just like a lot of other places, they had your pandemic special. And the pandemic special for Crave, in the case of Crave, was instead of one week for free, if you signed up before, I think it was the end of April, although I think that got extended into May, instead of one week, you would have had 30 days for free. So I signed up for it and got my 30 days. It came and went, and I decided to pay for a month. The Crave tier is can be anywhere between 
$10 to $25, depending on what you want in it. The basic, basic tier is just the Vice, the Showtime, old episodes, and back catalog of HBO stuff, along with, obviously, Bell Media's exclusives. That's $10 a month. If you want to add recent movies and HBO, that's another $10. That'll bring you to 20 and then, but you also get the uh, the live feature as well. Oh yes, that's right. You get the live stream of the actual Crave channels, and then another five dollars more on top of that, you get stars, which is essentially movies from the last couple decades, I guess, into the nineties. Fairly, yeah, give or take, give or take, but older movies yeah. within that. Basically, it was like movie picks back then when. Crave was called the the movie network. But that's the three tiers for Crave. I think there's also something related to French as well. I keep forgetting off the top of my head. I think it's either or at the $20 tier. But that's how it works. I decided to pay another month in terms of the $20 tier. And the only uh, attraction for me at this point are two series. One... The Dark Side of the Ring, those wrestling documentaries, which is actually really well done. It's that was done by Cray, that was produced by Cray for Vice Media, and it's the highest rated series on Vice Television in the States right now. And it's a must watch if you're a pro wrestling fan. Goes without saying, chances are pro wrestling fans have already watched it the entire run already, which is like 14 episodes. Great series. And the only other series that I'm interested in right now would be Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, which is going to go on a three-week hiatus at the end of June, which is a perfect time for me to cancel the subscription in the meantime and save myself a couple bucks. But that's my motivation there. Certainly, there's no other motivation since the Studio Ghibli stuff is not there. I probably would keep the subscription if it was. There's some movies I would have wanted to see that I haven't had a chance you know, over the last 10 years. You know, Mike? Go Say it. This should this should not be an issue. This whole Ghibli thing should not be an issue. I agree. It should be that it should have just been there because if other HBO Max exclusives are on Crave, then I don't understand why Ghibli can't be there. Especially because I don't recall Ghibli titles streaming beforehand. So what is the issue? Yeah, that's true. Like so what the it fuck? Be, it should be this somewhere. Dumb. It should be within either. Some... It should be within either HBO Max's programming on Crave for Canadians or Netflix. One or the other it should be there. It should be on Crave. Well, it should put be it on so Crave. Wait. What the fuck, Bell? Put it on. It should be there. You know what I think with the, but you know how I think it's Bell's fault to be honest. Like I, who's fault? I think it's Bell's fault. I suspect it's Bell's fault. Well, then somebody right. It's like as if they, it's as if they didn't. It's as if you could just flip the switch on and they just didn't flip the switch on because they just don't care about it. That, which that's is just how I. That's my suspicion. I. It's unfounded. I don't have any real the thing, evidence. But the funny part is, the funny part is, since it's tied with with the HBO tier, that's the twenty dollar tier. Put that on. You probably could win a handful, a good chunk of sus- subscriptions just on that alone. I think you- I just get. I'm just tired of us getting shafted like this. Yeah. Well. Uh, well. Keep in mind, can it, being Canadian, 
it has its ups and downs. That's just the thing about being Canadian, I suppose. It's like, it's like we're we're not even the hat. It's like, it's like we're the pants. We're not America's hat. <laughs> well, yeah, and then Texas is down there, right? So. <laughs> It's it's hilarious. I, I will say if if there could be a la- a last straw in all of this, because you know about the friends reunion, right? Oh, I, a friends reunion. There I is a friends reunion that. planned. There is a friends reunion planned. That was a Warner Brothers show, so it belongs to Warner, which in turn could belong to HBO Max. Actually, it has been confirmed for it HBO Max. There will be a friends reunion on on that service. Oh, it would be hilarious to see whether or not Crave gets that. But once again... I don't think they'd be that dumb. Funnier things have happened. (laughs) It would be hilarious, though. Wouldn't that be hilarious if somehow Crave does not end up with that? With friends? I don't think it's possible, is it? It it shouldn't be possible. Because remember, Global was the one that used to do it for that one, for friends, Mm -hmm. I believe. Which is now part of course, actually, so... But it would boggle me if Crave somehow does not end up with the Friends reunion whenever that eventually happens. On the on that note, let me uh, check a check a few more bullets. Let me see if there's another one I want to mention. Well, we talked about uh, we talked about what Canada has in common with China, Crimea, and Syria. Mm-hmm. So enough about that one. Well, we talked about the Tokyo Kazai article, so that's already done. Okay. Well, this one, I think only James and I really know about this one because we talked about it just before we started recording. Does the name Julian Lai Hung ring a bell? Julian Lai Hung. It doesn't ring a bell to either of you, and I had trouble remembering it too. But if memory serves me right, let me pull up the article just quickly. Julian Lai Hung. Julian Lai Hung, back on May 13th, was hired by Crunchyroll as, as the head of content strategy and business development for the Japan-Asia-Pacific region. What was his role before that? He worked with Netflix to help launch Netflix in Japan. And he does have a further past with Warner Brothers. He worked on uh, international digital distribution with Warner Brothers before. So in some respects, going to Crunchyroll is in many ways a return home. So this guy had some significance in terms of some of the stuff we're seeing now in terms of Netflix Japan and what we will eventually see with Crunchyroll. Okay, I actually remember reading this news article. Okay, so what do you you have a takeaway from this one? Uh, Any thoughts? Either Uh, you or James or Mo? Not really, like, it makes sense for Crunchyroll. I, I, I'm not really familiar with the man's work, so I don't have much of a comment otherwise, but makes sense. We'll see how they go about it. It makes That's sense. That's all I really gotta say. I, I wonder what type of role he did have in terms of Netflix Japan. Go ahead. Well, they said he had, uh, he was director of content for Japan. That's what his role was when he was helping to launch it. In Japan. So he might have been one so, of the one who yeah. procured those deals for shows. He might have been a point guy in some of the anime stuff and that we keep hearing about now, that we've heard about in the last couple of weeks. 
but definitely some streaming knowledge that they could use going forward because everyone's still learning and still trying to chase that dollar, right? Right. Because it can't be just subscribers and advertising. Everyone's trying to find new ways and find the next new thing, right? Mm -hmm. And find those I know Kevin has been thinking about the next new thing that we all heard is coming next year. Which is? Which is a redo. Of? Oh, we're talking about Shaman, Shaman King, King remember? Shaman King. Well, let me, I, I do want you to mention that. Uh, the one thing that caught me about this, then Lai Hung would have been part of the whole acquisitions for shows like Tokyo Story's Midnight Diner and Terrace House. Those are two of the more popular Japanese language shows now on Netflix. And probably talking to uh, Fuji as well, right? And talking to those different studios in Japan. So he's probably had many discussions with many different creators in Japan and stations. So that can help too. TBS and Fuji uh, are the networks behind Midnight Diner and Terrace House, respectively. So this guy's sounds like he would have been quite significant. So this is an interesting call for Crunchyroll. Okay, Shaman King. I know you wanted to mention Shaman King, Kevin. Go ahead. Is there any Shaman so, King? Yeah, I was going to ask you, Mo, if you. 20... I was going to ask if you were going to if you had yeah. watched the old one or not. Dude, yes, that was uh, was it Fox Kids, man? Come on, Saturday mornings. Yeah, Fox so Kids in the states. Fox Kids for the license uh, for the license, right? YTV had it here too. Although I don't know yep, if they yep. finished it, to be honest. They may not have. I don't recall. I don't think they did. I'll double, I'll double check this while we continue talking. But but uh, it's honestly... Kevin. Ke Kevin's uh, in and out, I'm afraid. Technical but, yeah, they did have, like, it was similar to the One Piece, where unfortunately, uh, Shaman King uh, came over in one form. They were trying to sell it to the kids, and I guess it didn't work out as well. And the other thing is they tried to do an uncut version with Funimation, but I don't think that ever released over here, unfortunately. So this reboot would be a nice uh, kick in the arm for them. But I know originally they wanted to do this, I think, a few years ago. But the Shaman King uh, creator, obviously, he wasn't feeling it. He didn't want to do that. But I guess it came together that they got all the people he wanted and how the vision was put forward that he's like, okay, let's do this. Hmm. Well, let's okay. see if uh, Kevin's able to But there to seemed to be one. a lot of buzz. Okay, Kevin, I think we, we, we got you back. Okay, so there was always... I, I, I felt like there was always a remote chance of this happening. And I'm, I'm a little surprised, to be honest, but it wasn't out of the realm of possibility. Uh, I'm happy that it's finally happening. I'm happy that they'll adapt the show properly i'm happy that they will use they will adapt the entire manga including the true ending so to speak that we never got in the manga form here and <laughs> and i'm happy that there's a realistic chance of kodansha publishing the manga again because as some people may be aware uh, it's no longer under Shueisha, so Viz will not be putting it out. It would be Kodansha USA if it does. Sweet. And it probably would be digital, too, given the amount of volumes that they have. I could see it being physical, actually. There's a shot of it being physical. Uh, Do you think Omnibus? Yes, it would have to be Omnibus. And because there are Omnibus re-releases in Japan, and... Uh, 
apparently, and I think there is demand for a physical copy because I look at eBay and some complete sets are going for five, six hundred bucks. So, uh, I think there's some demand. Cool. That all we want to say on that? I, I, you know what? I'm pretty fond of the. Sh- I'm pretty fond of Shaman King too. It does so. sound like it. Yes. I, I mean, I can't say I was. Then wasn't too familiar with it, but I respect fandoms. I was never in a a Some of those shows that's to be respected. I was never a Bleach fan. I enjoyed the live action though a couple years ago. Yes, yes, that was a (laughs) watch. That was that was a fun watch. On your Netflix, guys, come on. (laughs) We're plugging a bunch of things. But no, it was good. Some of those four kids ones that people wanted to come back in the uncut form have made their way back, whether it be what one piece in its renaissance or with Shaman King. And hopefully this time it's done right and everyone will be happy. Mm-hmm. It's interesting it's because the, the anime didn't fully adapt the manga. I think it, cut, it just cut out at 64 episodes and it didn't fully adapt what was going on. And, uh, yeah, just happy to see that there was that there will be uh, a complete adaptation from front to back. Because uh, from what I'm reading, yep, they're adapting the whole thing. Because why wouldn't you at this point? Well, uh, that's sort of a fruits basket in many ways. Yeah, yep. I think the creators for both those things they wanted it done right mm-hmm. if they are going to do it. So for those two properties, I think there was definitely a lot of creator involvement, and probably has, it has been for the best so far for the fans. At least for fruit baskets, everyone seems to have been enjoying it. Mm-hmm. How many epi- more new episodes have come out of that since? Like, how how far are we into the second season of that? Uh, probably just finishing 13? up the first uh, course, so I think yeah. we're coming up on uh, how many. 12, 13, I would On imagine. either 11 or 12 for the... Uh, okay. 11 or 12 for the okay. second season. I can't remember if they're numbering it like that, or if it's just continuing the numbering after they... It depends on where you go. I think, I think they're number... Some places are numbering it, adding on to the original season. So, like, I keep seeing numbers like 33, 34 out there. Uh, we're done with Shaman King, right? We're done talking Shaman King. Yeah. We are, right? Okay, just to lighten it up... I, Oh, go ahead. If you, if you oh, want to one more thing s- before I shoot another... Oh, I, this just came into my head. Uh, I, I'd argue that the 4Kids dub of Shaman King was one of their better dubs. Seriously? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a good... Interesting. Uh, the voice actors were pretty this. good, and uh, not too many edits needed to be made, so... It's, it's, it's interesting to see that that will be forever lost to time now. That won't ever be out legally Again. here yeah won't see the light of day which yep. is maybe a, a little sad i mean these type of things have its own fascination too mm-hmm. okay just quickly because we're gonna start winding it down soon you saw the first new look of the ps5 that was unveiled a couple days ago and i've seen many photoshopped versions of it already adding Faces to it, uh, Mohammed. Thanks for the Instagram post. That just <laughs> sent along. I mean, how, how how did no one like think that was like? It's so obvious. Well, you know what? That, that's a good one. Uh, explain explain the picture though for for our. It's 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 perfect cell from Dragon Ball Z, mm-hmm. but his head is like slightly elongated, so it's basically the PS5. Yes. Well, 
You know what's the other clever Photoshop I've seen? Somebody put Sato Kaiba from. from uh, <laughs> I remember this. Video. You remember seeing that one? That was a good yep. one. Yep. Sato Kaiba from. There are a lot of good Studio, ones. And <laughs> basically, that it, it looks like his entire wardrobe <laughs> or his uh, entire <laughs> coat. And basically, just stuck his head on top of it. <laughs> actually, it's pretty oh, good. Okay. <laughs> actually, it's pretty good. That's- that's really good. I just saw it. That's good. Oh, another one. Um, Lord of the Rings. It's um, the All-Seeing Eye, Mordor. I think, right? Yeah, send me, send me the link. We will put these in the show notes, almost certainly. I have to put these in the show notes. These are hilarious. Yeah, it was uh, stream worthy watching uh, to watch that PS5 event because I was watching it with a team of people and everyone was just on their seats, but. We figured we wouldn't hear a price, and we didn't hear a price, but it's going to be high, that's for sure. But everything <laughs> they showed was looking good. But the most hilarious part about that whole presentation was how they started it. So how do we start the next generation? <laughs> With Grand Theft Auto Five. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, that's true, that's true. Well, question. We saw two different versions of it. One with an optical drive, one without. And I know I'm a little old school. I would ha- have more appeal with the optical drive. But Ditto. tell me, how good is the market for the just digital version of the console? I think I, something tells me it's relatively high. It's just I know I wouldn't. I don't know, into it. Mike. I don't know. Like I think the thing is this will be the first test because Xbox did do it with the Xbox One, an all digital version. Mm-hmm. But it was too late in the game, so I'm not sure it sold as well as they hoped because we never heard anything after the fact. And I think, and I think some of the reason is two skews: one to be more expensive and premium, one to be less expensive to save on cost, but it's probably not going to save much. And so yeah, I, I guess some people think the one all digital maybe might be cheaper, but who knows? It'll be interesting to see. There's been talk of a lot more people going digital. So maybe now is the time to launch that type of device, but you want to do it with the first launch of the first version. Basically right from the the get-go. And we keep on hearing that too, because not as many people are buying physical medias. And one of the things with that is not just video games. Now we also can play our uh, UBDs, uh, the 4K Blu-rays, basically, on our video game systems with... uh, ps5 and stuff like that mm-hmm. we could do that with the xbox one s and the xbox one um elite well, yeah. but this is the first time for sony yeah you, you and did. so that'll be big for everyone well, who wants to go into that market you, if it still exists admittedly you had me thinking a couple things the digital versions have basically been second versions of various various consoles so this is the first time we'll see the first version of a console come out with an all digital version. You also, it wasn't just Xbox. You had me thinking, you also had me thinking about the second version of the PSP, the PSP go. I think it was remember that. Oh yes. The PSP go. And it had the flip kind of like a phone and stuff. Right. Only things and things that can only be downloaded into it. It never had a a cartridge system or a disc system there. If if memory, but it kind of ran into the same thing. And I think it was way too early on. It was way too late because people were still going. Well, it was, I was saying more on the digital front 
well, way yeah, too it was late too early. in the system of the for the system in that life cycle, but early as not as many people I think right. were it going was, digital at that point. That's where I was saying yeah, it was late in its early. life cycle and early in terms of the concept, right? Mm-hmm. But that's what you had me you had me thinking about that and as you talked about it. And we'll see. Obviously collectors who knows? I guess it'll. I presume the optical might be of more appeal, especially as the next version of Final Fantasy VII comes out. The next part. Mm. I forgot where that ended. I, I haven't played it yet to this point. I'm not sure I will. But do we have a release date on the five yet? Just holiday nope. 2020, and that's the same for Xbox uh, Series the new Xbox X as well. For- mm-hmm. Yep, Series X. So both of them are 2020 holiday, and they both have been reiterating again and again, even with COVID, that they're going to hit that mark. They haven't even said numbers of how many they're going to put out there, but some suspect it won't be too high because they know not everyone is really going to be able to buy them because they may be priced higher, but we don't know what the price is going to be because many suspect... Microsoft is going to announce first, and then probably Sony's going to try to undercut because they're market leader at the moment. They can do whatever they want with their PS4 money. And the thing is, they're going to still have PS4 like games releasing for that and to keep that market Just going. Just a little longer. Still really healthy. There's always that overlap period for that lasts a couple of years, right? It's just that it sounds like this overlap could be a little longer than the, in the past. But we're going to have that 599 moment for sure, I'm sure. That's true, which, which has me waiting. And I'm sure that'll be uh, the lower version or the lowest price, and it'll probably be the digital version, right? Mm, yeah. I'm sure there will be another meme for that, too. I'm sure. Okay, so let's move on. A couple more to go before we call it a night. Okay, I, I didn't really pass this by you guys, but I'll uh, quickly go a little bit, and this is more personal. Kota Fukihara. I don't think any of you guys know who he is. Does that ring? Does that name begin to ring a bell? First of all, Kota Fukihara. No, no, n- not neither. Nope. Okay. Nope. Let me just uh, try and pull it up just quickly. Kota Fukihara, and now I've already mispronounced it. So here come the flames. Fukihara-san passed away back around May eighteenth, I believe. He was a scriptwriter. He was thirty-seven. He wrote the live-action scripts for some Netflix series, most notably Final Fantasy Dad of Light. He wrote that. And through this article, I found out that a live-action version of Eyes, the Aizu manga, by Masakazu Katsura existed. He wrote the, scre- he wrote the script for that, which mm. was on... In twelve for twelve episodes at the end of 2018, so he passed away at the age of 37. I mean, this sounds like, like some a good resume here. He made some really interesting stuff. So, uh, rest in peace, Fukuhara-san. I, I will say, I really did enjoy Final Fantasy: Dad of Light. That's a that's a worth watch. That might be this generation's Denja Otoko. And funny enough, the guy who played the the father in that story, he passed away actually a couple of years ago of uh, of heart conditions. But he also played the drunk in the movie version of Dencho Otoko all mm. those years back. So 
there's there's a bunch of connections here. As for Aizu, I'm kind of mad about this. Like we we went on this whole bit about Studio Ghibli uh, a few minutes ago. There's no sign as to where you might be able to find Aizu, and as I looked it up, seemingly it might be on Netflix Japan. There is an entry for it on Netflix Japan, but we can't see it. Mm. I'm not totally sure though. So, if anyone knows that definitively, if there's a streaming option available in North America or anywhere for that matter, I, I wouldn't mind knowing. That was uh, one of my favorite manga back at the back in the day myself. One anything of my favorites from, as well. Uh, Mataka, one of my anything from Masakazu Katsura, I was always a big fan of. Video Girl Eye and Aizu are chief amongst them. Well, those are probably his two masterworks, yeah. I guess. So I didn't. I, know, I read. I did not. Too. Yeah. So I did not know about yeah. the live action existing. So I would have been curious to watch that. I'm told it wasn't all that great, but it was still. I still would have been quite curious anyway. And. I do have one more before we, and then we'll uh, talk about some other stuff. I'm going to do another name drop and see if that rings a bell. Shintaro Suji. Shintaro Suji. Does that name ring a bell? He made news today. Lay it on us. Neither of you. Huh? Yeah. Well, James point. already knows. Shintaro Suji is the 91 is the or 92 year old CEO of Sanrio. Hello, Kitty. Oh, yeah. It was announced today that he was finally stepping oh. down as CEO of Sanrio. He's the founder of the company that's most famous for Hello Kitty. 60 years. Damn. 60 All right. years. So he, he'd run the company for the better part of 60 years. He is stepping down as CEO as of this week or 92. Wow. He, he went till 92. He's going to, and these type of businesses, as you might expect, it's, it's within oh. the family. No, <laughs> it's within the family, so he's handing control over to his grandson, Tomokuni Suji. Handing uh, the CEO reins over to his son isn't an option. His son passed away of a heart attack. Some I don't know what, when. I have to look up the article one more time. Do we have the number here? Do we have a uh, exactly when that? Happened? Yes, his son died of a heart attack in 2013. So he probably kept on going so that his grandson could take over because his grandson is 31 years old. He's 31, which makes him younger than Hello Kitty. Yeah, that's what they said. And they talked about changes and stuff like well, that. Well, that's that's where it gets interesting. They, apparently, according to the articles, they say that Sanrio is facing a bit of a downturn. So. So Tomokuni may be in some position to do something about it. And his first statement was he has pledged to transform the company and drop outdated ideas. And then they say afterwards, let's hope he's not referring to Hello Kitty, who is older than the company's new leader. Oh, and that's God's where that sake. came from. <laughs> uh, God's sakes. Good, good luck to him. Because uh, Hello Kitty is one of those big imports, big pop culture imports from Japan, right? Well, you can say that. We know they've put it on every single product imaginable. That is one of even the more risque products. I'm sure that it can make it back hill. Probably still continue with that. History, history is one of those hilarious things when it comes to Hello Kitty. But without a doubt, there'll be some interesting time capsules. Without a doubt, she is probably one of the single most famous Japanese pop culture icons in the world. 
Hello Kitty I mean, sold out, man. Hmm? Hello Kitty sold out, man. She sold out. Uh, oh, yeah, well... Tasteify actually has been advertising a run of Hello Kitty themed products for their for their cell phone accessories, cases and straps and stands and stuff. Like I keep up with that type of stuff and I've been getting emails mentioning that they're about to restock one more time for this generation of of cell phones Hello Kitty themed items. So I I guess that's one way to do it, I suppose. Yeah, good luck to good luck to the company in the near future on that one. But that's interesting. I just found that interesting that the head of Sanrio has been the same guy all through its history, and he's retiring at ninety-two. Way to go! I don't know if I should say congratulations, or. But uh, James, you probably were right. He he was just hanging on so that he can make a good as good a transition as possible to, to his grandson. Okay, well, we're almost done. I mean, we've gone, like what, more than an hour, almost an hour, 10 minutes in this segment. Is there anything we want to add? I mean, I have to say, this is, this is part of the story of my day. I spent the day trying to catch up on a few things in my watch list. I mean, I watched an episode of of Tokyo Stories Midnight Diner and Terrace House and Wotokoi and Cardcaptor Sakura Clear Card. That was my day. That was the bulk of my day, watching one episode of each of those shows. And I'm enjoying all of them, I have to say. So I just want to make a personal plug on each of these shows. If you're a big Midnight Diner fan, you might have gotten an email if you have a Netflix subscription that the that the original three seasons of Midnight Diner are now available on Netflix. What Netflix originally re released was seasons four and five because they produced them, but they have now procured the rights to the first three seasons, but it's strictly under the name Midnight Diner. No Tokyo stories mentioned. So it's actually a separate title compared to the other two, but those are the first three seasons that's now available. And I have to reflect, I've watched six episodes of Clear Card and by the way, it's been two years since Junko Iwao appeared at Anime North in the aftermath of the premiere of Clear Card. And also last week, the original Cardcaptor Sakura series was, made it onto Netflix too. So I watched the, a little bit of that. And boy, have things changed in 20 years. The animation quality certainly has changed. Looks Obviously, a lot more slick now uh, with ClearCard. But one thing that I found kind of funny was the technology's time slip, right? If you, when you think about it, ClearCard actually begins almost immediately after the course of events of, card of the original CardCaptor series. And actually, one of its first scenes is the final scene of the original manga when Sakura and Shaoran reunite, right? If, if you, if just, to, just to put it into perspective. But that would stick them probably in the late 90s or early aughts, if, if you're to believe the timeline. But now all of a sudden, technology the technology kind of didn't go lockstep. All of a sudden, Sakura is seen 
holding the smartphone, having the latest technology. And, and Kiro constantly talks about playing video games online. So it, it's kind of cute how, the, how technology has kind of gone. Anyway. And I'm not going to incriminate myself with the last thing I'm watching, Kevin. What? Kevin. Yes. Oh wait. I'm here. Yeah, well, you know I'm well, or you think I should incriminate myself. Do it. We, do it. Let us all know. Say? Well, the last thing the last thing that I've been that's been on my watch list as of late is a Chinese series. Ah, this. Right? Okay. I've been looking this one, yes. Oh, you two. I don't know if I told James this. I know I haven't told Muhammad this one, so he he's gonna get a kick out of this one. I can't wait now. Oh, you can't wait to hear <laughs> I this? know which one you're talking about now. So. You, know, you do know, James? Yeah, the you real do. Oh, I just told you. Okay. of New York. Huh? Oh, it's not that what? okay. Not the real housewives. Okay, never mind. No, no, it's not the real housewives. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and this is a recommendation to anybody who's actually into this. I've also been looking for a half-decent martial arts series to watch. Like a kung fu series. And a few came up and on my recommended list on Netflix, and I clicked on one of them, and it was this show called The Untamed. And I think everyone knows who knows this show now knows where I'm about to go with this. Really beautiful series. The cinematography is great. It's set in you know a fantasy Chinese world. The music is great. The cinematography is well done. It was a hit series in China. There was some controversy over seeing the later episodes of it because uh, I think they initially made it on a regular tier in one of their streaming services in China. But then if you went on the upper tier, you got early access to the final episodes of the first season of it. It's like 50 episodes to this point. And then I started watching this. And I started to notice a little bit more of a chemistry between the two male leads. And then I look it up on Wikipedia and I find out that The Untamed is based on uh, a, a popular boys love novel in China. And it's, it's, only, it's actually the second adaptation of it. There's an animation that's also been running, a Chinese animation that's been running through this. A lot of people wondered how popular, how good this adaptation would turn out and actually didn't get good ratings initially because there was the fear of it being really toned down from the source material. But the reviews got more glowing when people realized that it was staying fairly true to the source material, although they did have to be a little bit more subtle with a lot of the romance scenes between the two main characters who by the way are being played by two very popular Chinese pop stars from two different boy bands in China there's plenty of reason for for people to watch this like they're they're the producers have given plenty of reasons for anybody to watch it and a lot of people say it is binge-worthy it's a good show to watch it's just for me I was hoping for a little bit more Kung Fu action. I have to say the word Kung Fu before saying action. <laughs> but it's an intriguing series for nonetheless. And I'm reading up more and more about it. But I thought if you are, if that's like, there's the fandom. 
not my thing, I admit, but uh, it's worth a watch for many different reasons, but it'll have its fans for uh, different reasons. That's my, so those are all on my watch list currently. Hey, hey, Mike. Yes. You're allowed to like whatever you like. It's ditto. Well, as I said, I just, it's, it wasn't something that like, it was more something I stumbled upon. I have to say that having watched it, I didn't really know about this, this aspect to it. it I just liked, it was just so visually stunning. It's a very visually stunning show. Uh, we'll put put up the trailer for it. If I am able to find a proper one to put up, there's a recommendation right there. Do you guys have anything, any uh, one title you'd like to mention before we go off the air tonight? One thing on your watch or read list? Uh, before I get to mine, uh, I will say that I've watched my fair share of uh, anime targeted to uh, female audiences that are in the realm of boys' love. And hey, if it's if it's a good series, then it's good. It's a good series. Like it's a good watch. So if it, if if it's enjoy if it, if you enjoy it, that's ultimately what matters. And hey, I've like I've watched silly stuff like Gaku in Heaven and Princess Princess, where mm-hmm. it's definitely like targeted towards the BL crowd. And hey, I have I have I own Bara manga as well, so mm-hmm. I don't see any issue. Nothing I can't really say. It's not really can't really say you're incriminating yourself. We're Which we're is- in. I like to think we're an inclusive space here. Well, we're supposed to be, right? That's what we said mm-hmm. at the beginning. I it's just it it, it didn't anger me when I when I realized that. That was just it didn't get me upset, but like I'm seeing it completely different now. But I well, I hear you on that. The thing is it's for the Chinese audience and so it's interesting how well, they can work those themes into there and stuff like that. Well, so. it, it, sure. it, that's the thing for sure. because it would have had to go get past a lot of state censors, I presume. And for the most part, obviously it did. And actually the fact that it got past a lot of that is a big part is a big reason for its heightened popularity since then. And Apparently, apparently there was supposed to have been like an appearance tour of many of the stars, and it, it was set to come to Canada actually, but it got canceled because of the COVID crisis. The only thing about that tour was the two main stars weren't part of it. So, huh? And I thought that's the uh, kicker and all of that. Okay, and do you guys have anything you guys want to add before we uh, call it a night? Uh, let's like a, see. A one, I, just one title. I've I gone through a bunch, I know, but you have one title. I had uh, a couple from the reading list that I was reading this afternoon. It's like one was uh, It's All Complete from Yen Press, and that was Skullface uh, bookseller Honda Sun. And that one is quite <laughs> an interesting one. Like it had a small uh, mini short episodes on Crunchyroll if you want to do it, but the full series of four volumes is out from Yen Press, and I've had fun reading that. And the author is called like Honda Sun. It's his experience in the Japanese uh, bookstore industry and stuff like that. And his funny antidotes. And it's just a fun little series. <laughs> the other one, which is another comedy and very fun and stuff like that, is reading the third volume of The Way of the House Husband. And that oh, I is. I read that. 
Oh, it is fantastic. It's basically this Yakuza guy oh, no. I, that basically is married to this wife that is bringing home the bacon and he is being the housewife and he's doing all these housewife <laughs> things. This series. Even... I've never seen it like as much as seen a picture of it, but I know of this series. The one chapter that just there's some of them that you can just go into any chapter is just hilarious. But one chapter I can tell you that sticks into my memory, just to give an example, is the main guy is basically going out and stuff like that. And then he sees this other guy that used to, I guess it was in a rival gang or whatever. And he had just gone out of prison and he was doing this uh, crepe stand. And so then it looks like they're going to fight, but then it's like, no, we're not going to fight with our fists. We're going to fight with our skills of making the best crepe and stuff like that and putting it on line and see who likes it the most. And so you see them creating these intricate crates and stuff like that. Then they're posing it and taking the pictures to put on their Instagram. And they do say Instagram and they're waiting and waiting. And then you find <laughs> out that the husband wins because his wife is the first one to give a like. And then you find out the one guy has no one following his Instagram and he is following <laughs> no one. And the husband is only following his wife and his wife is the only one following his account. <laughs> So they did not use hashtags, is how I take it. Probably not, but it's still <laughs> funny. And they have well, other that sounds, humor, like, me, that sounds like, like me trying to navigate Twitter and Instagram, actually. Mo, do you have a thought? Do you have a, a recommendation to watch or read? Uh, I have an anti-recommendation. Oh, that helps. Good. That, 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 that's oh. actually a good change of pace. Don't, Shoot. Don't, uh, don't watch the new Artemis Fowl. How about that? Which one? Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> really? Oh, because I've been promoting that, didn't I, uh, for Disney and that quite a bit. Oh, man. It just came out yesterday, and it's just so, it's so not good. It's just so bad. Basically, you want the time back, right? <laughs> 90 minutes, I'm never going to get back. It's just, come on. Yeah, it's one of those If games. they had put Baby Yoda in there, could they have saved the series, Mo? You know what? Yeah. Uh, oh. I, I think they might have, maybe. I don't know. It's just—it's one of those things where it's like you have a great premise, but then for whatever reason, I'm guessing studio executives decided to uh, rewrite it into this ridiculous, kid-friendly, nonsensical, no-plot movie that had Colin Farrell in it for like two and a half minutes. So it's just, it's not a good movie, guys. Don't, don't watch it. <laughs> but thanks on that, Mo. Okay, Kevin, you got last shot, and then I'll mention one last thing, and then I'll call it a night. Uh, I finished Firefighter Daigo. Fucking fantastic. Daigo somehow nukes a fire. Mm -hmm. Uh-oh, did he get cut off again? Hello, can you hear me? I think uh, he just got nuked himself. No, oh, way to go. Oh, wait, wait, he might be... <laughs> he might be coming back on. Give it a second. Oh, dear. Oh, he, uh, he gave something waiting here to see if he we did hear on. that uh fire uh, fighter daigo basically newt kevin so well, is he coming <laughs> back on? some days do you hear me no well, that's just the way it sometimes works oh, oh, try it again oh my kevin God. hello say it again just go go with it go go one more time say uh, you hear like, start over you hear me do over Take you two. were reading uh firefighter daigo <laughs> and he nuked a yeah. fire he he did, he nuked a fire in Sumatra, so in uh, Indonesia, with a gas tank. 
gas tank. Hmm. Believe it or not. <laughs> Only in manga. Only in manga. Only in fiction, really. And uh, what else did I... Like, what a what a great ending to that manga. Uh, buy it digitally if you can. And I finished reading Girl on the Shore. Uh, oh. oh, that was a good one. Yeah. Oh. From... It was... Yeah. It's... I finished it and I thought, man, Inio Asano just has a way with with uh, making you feel oddly unsatisfied, yet satisfied at the same time at the conclusion of his works. Way to go. But there's some great like ones. That that one, I think, Vertical released in one uh, volume, and there's yes. some other ones that are great. Like his recently released Downfall. That was released a few months ago, and that's only one volume. That was a fun one. And he talked about that one when he came to TCAF, about a manga creator that is basically burnt out and then trying to find his way back. Is mm. it him? Is he talking about himself? Who knows? Well, I can't remember what he said at the time, but you never know. You never know. Well, thanks a lot, guys. Uh, I will. One last thing, and I want to plug this just quickly. I did mention we... Finally updated, or I finally updated the website to link properly to all the version one era episodes. So give any random episode from the 2006 to 2009 run of this original series, the original podcast. Because I was looking through the odd episode and there were some interesting things said, not necessarily incriminating, it's just... We had our obviously had our thoughts as to where we thought things were going then, and how does it relate to where we are now? And in many respects, that could be episodes to come. So give those a listen. See if there's anything incriminating said, which means there's plenty. And get back to us, okay? Well, that's about it. As I said, light at the end of the tunnel in this whole pandemic thing isn't there, right? You hope? How many more episodes do you think we'll be doing remotely before we uh, do another episode in person? Two. I say two. You say two? <laughs> so we're only having two episodes for the rest of this year, guys. Yeah, okay, wait. <laughs> you got it, Abe. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I said, it's going to be interesting because. Well, many of us had plenty of free time to do stuff. Okay, maybe you three, not quite as much. I certainly did. So I wonder what the what the end of the tunnel will look like for for myself as things rev back up. Still could be a while, I, considering my line of work, but who knows which way that'll go. And we'll, I guess, update you by then. One thing, uh, one thing I'm pretty sure will be done by the time we come back on or one title. I'm pretty sure I'll be finished by the time we come back to our next episode. I did mention I finished episode seven of Wotokoi. So I'm pretty sure by the time we come back, I will have those final four episodes of the, at least the regular series done. And I'm pretty sure I'll be able to say something about that at that point. I'm going to catch up to the manga. As soon as I finish reading, I'm going to finish reading that depressing, depressing series. (laughs) Well, yeah, no, I caught up to the English manga and then, yeah, the series as well. It was fun. Yeah, so I, I'm pretty sure I'll have something to say about that uh, at that point. But 
still a little bit to go. I think we've said enough tonight. Oh, I got one more thing. Don't you? Oh, okay. And then uh, and then we'll cut it off at like the two fifteen mark. <laughs> go ahead. Well, I was gonna say hour thirty of yeah, hour thirty of the second. Uh, I, I will say, I will say, we've. I will say, listening back to all those older episodes, we they were barely an hour. Oh well, Kevin. Uh, so I found out that last month, uh, Kodansha put out the next eleven volumes of the Drops of God on Comicsology, and uh, oh boy. I fucking hate Amazon for still not making Comics College Unlimited available in Canada. Fuck you, Amazon. Amazon has a habit of being behind when it comes to Canada, though. Everybody's behind when it comes to Canada from the sounds of it. They didn't even uh, well, that's true too. put up uh, Turbo Graphics up here. It was only on .com. Oh, boy. Yeah, sure. So. Fucking Amazon. Well, we're here. All, uh, insignif- all 30 million insignificant of us up here. Uh, above the hat. <laughs> huh. I thought we were below. In the in the, uh, mi- no, in the minds of in the minds of these companies, we're below. Well, yeah, that too. It's only thirty million after all. Well, well let's call it then, and uh, we'll stand here twiddling our thumbs. Good night from Toronto. Join us again for another edition of the Anime Roundtable.